took a good old-fashioned bank run to expose just how poorly some banks have managed your deposits, and some deposits of the biggest tech companies, too. It all started with Silvergate, Signature, Silicon Valley banks, customers rushing to withdraw their money. The banks had that money tied up with unrealized losses. It's a perfect storm for banks to collapse. And it's not just those banks. One study shows that nearly 200 U.S. banks are at risk of the exact same kind of collapse. What do you expect in a fractional reserve banking system where the Fed cut the reserve requirement to zero? JPL did that back in March of 2020, and it's still zero. U.S. banks can literally lend an unlimited amount of money created out of thin air. And anyone who's ever watched Billions will know a bank charter is the golden ticket, keys to the money printer. So as regulators continue to debate and try to fix the banking crisis and prevent a global economic meltdown, we've done the unthinkable. We bought a bank. Today on Dumb Money, we'll tell you who, what, when, where, why, and the fun part, how it was way easier than it sounds. You're listening to the Dumb Money Live podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Chris Jordan, the title of today's show is a little misleading. I want to clarify right up front so nobody thinks this is clickbait. We did buy a bank. But the way we did it was buying shares of a publicly traded bank. But I think the thought process that went into picking the bank stock that seems to be a lower risk, higher potential return is an interesting one. And we're just tiptoeing into this trade. Chris, I know you made a small initial investment, but you're looking to potentially get in bigger, right? Here's why my investment was small. I think people forget one thing when it comes to banks. There's not a single bank in the world that can survive a bank run. Not a single bank. I mean, so, I mean, that's just something we really haven't had to worry about in the past because we all kind of pretended that our deposits were insured, even though they aren't technically insured. And this like pushed that test to the limit, right? Like, well, it's it's kind of the perfect storm of two things. Pretty much they are protected unless you put in more than $250,000 to a checking or a savings account in which and what business what business can operate in a bank well, you know, that's the problem right and so that's the problem it's not in, it's for the most part it's not individuals some individuals do keep more than $250,000 in a checking account and for them i say anything over 250 put it in a money market now the businesses that actually have operating capital in far in excess of $250,000 that's where things get dicey But Jordan, what's so amazing is that so many businesses, I would say most, most businesses and most affluent individuals with over a quarter of a million dollars in a bank just didn't care until like 30 days ago whether or not their deposits were truly insured or not. I mean, you know, all of our- And they just assumed whether insured or not, they assumed a bank equals safe because we just- yeah, we've gotten oh, lazy about I've thinking heard, about uh, a few CFOs that actually recently consolidated in you know, their their banking, right? Where they used to have you know maybe deposits spread across five or six banks, and they had recently consolidated to one. And so now you know I bet every single CFO right now is like, okay, well, we've got to reconsolidate, or we we've got to unconsolidate everything and spread things around um, just so that we have operating yeah. capital in case of a default. Correct, Jordan. Almost all of our portfolio company 
that had millions to tens of millions of dollars in cash that were was raised from investor had mm -hmm. all of their money at a single point bank. A lot of yep. them at Silicon Valley Bank, right? In addition to that, small business, because Dave, you know, you're an owner of a small business like me. Yep. Uh, my restaurant uh, often has more than a quarter of a million dollars with our community bank. We might have yep. four or $500,000 with our community bank. Now we split that into two accounts a few weeks ago for safety, but that's just the mindset. Most businesses work with a community bank or regional bank, and they might have anywhere between a few hundred thousand and a few million dollars. Larger companies have tens of millions. And you just have it with that bank. You're not really worried about this because it hasn't been an issue. It hasn't been an issue. And you just think that a bank equals like a vault. You think your money is just being locked away. You're not really thinking about what they're doing with that money, which is loaning it out and buying bonds with it. And when you have the bond interest rates going up and the price of those bonds going down, you get into a real problem if someone starts inspecting your balance sheet, which is exactly what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. So, so there's that overriding risk that at some point something triggers a deeper bank run. Maybe it's a commercial real estate collapse, maybe it's something else. But now that we're keenly aware of the fact that our money is not insured above a quarter of a million dollars, uh, unless the government chooses to backstop that individual bank's depositors, we are all going to go racing to pull anything over a quarter of a million dollars out of that bank and put it into something that's secure, whether it's investing across multiple banks um, or putting that money into a treasury-backed security. So that said, that's a real risk, no matter what bank you're in. Okay, I need to invest in a bank regardless of that risk because banks are a money printing machine and most banks at this point are down 30 to 60%. Okay, so for me, I'm willing to allocate a very small portion of my portfolio into the banks now that they've had this haircut under the assumption that there is a chance that we will eventually get out of this mess without continued bank runs. But if I'm going to do that, I want to invest in the bank with the best balance for this atmosphere that we're in right now, right? I want the bank uh, that most investors are going to be thinking is not real that um at risk to either long dated securities uh, that they are forced to sell at a loss or a large percent of commercial real estate loans, specifically in the office sector, which seems to be the highest risk sector of commercial loans right now that I think could be the next shoe to drop that everybody is concerned about. And, and also just like the third factor there is what percentage of their depositors typically have more than that FDIC limit, right? And I saw an interesting, Christian Bale tweeted, also known as Michael Burry, tweeted this chart and then deleted it, but thanks to the internet, it still exists. And it's this really cool chart that shows the x-axis is the unrealized losses on uh, bond portfolios at these various banks, and the y-axis is the percentage of deposits over 250. And if you look at the risky quadrant on the uh, top right, you see Silicon Valley Bank, you see, uh, you, you know, the, these are the risky ones. And then the, the quadrant you want to be in is that lower left quadrant where you see uh, a few of them. You, my eyesight isn't good enough. I'm going to have to zoom in. But basically, you see uh, CFG, which is Citizens Financial Group, PNC, which is uh, the PNC Finance Service, a PNC bank, uh, NC, uh, NYCB, which is the New York Community Bank Corp, 
which did take over some of Signature Bank's deposits and loans, and their stock jumped. And then MTB, which is M&T Bank Corp. Um, not on this chart is is the First Citizens Bank shares, which is uh, FCNA, which they bought some of SBV's, SVB's uh, assets, and their stock also jumped. So let's talk about this graph because this went viral. And there's other similar charts and graphs that essentially the same thing as this graph. And everyone's kind of looking at this going, okay, who's the safest? Who's the safest? And M&T Bank keeps coming up again and again and again. Uh, so I think sometimes it's the perception of safety more than safety itself that matters in scenarios because assuming that we start to see any type of recovery or settling in the banking sector with regional banks and these bank runs uh, you know, start to slow down, which I, I, I hope they will, um, everyone's going to rush in those banks that I feel are most likely to survive the next kind of the next category of risk, which commercial real estate. Um, and M&T Bank seems to be like they're in a very good position there, according to that chart. Now, the chart doesn't tell the entire story, right? Because loans that are at risk are loans that the bank has identified to be at risk. With commercial real estate loans, a lot what people are saying is that a lot of those loans and those portfolios have not yet been marked down. So the banks have not yet admitted uh, to having, you know, potential defaults in their portfolio. And at some point that's going to happen. And that's where all the concern is right now in regional banking. Okay, so I did some deep dive research and it appears, according to their own statement, that M&T Bank of the hundred and what is it? They have like $170 billion of assets, something like that. They only have $5 billion invested in office commercial real estate, which is my big area of concern. Of that $5 billion, they have marked 20% of it. So $1 billion of that is at risk. Um, and they have been pretty clear about this. The thing that's interesting about M&T Bank is they are super conservative, like super conservative. In fact, they are one of the very few banks that have been profitable, I think every quarter since the 70s and did not decrease their dividend even during the 2008 financial collapse. Um, they do not have a lot of long dated as it, as it relates to treasury. So I think most of their treasuries are like one year, uh, or lower. So they're, they're good to go there. Um, I do like that. They've been very clear about their commercial real estate portfolio. Specifically, they've had major issues with the hotel portion because they have a lot of hotels in New York. That was the concern for M and bank. Uh, they, that portfolio of loans has gotten better as people started going back to hotels. They appear to be safe there, but there's $1 billion that they marked at risk. It doesn't mean they're going to lose a billion dollars, but it's a billion dollars at risk within their office portfolio. Now in that office portfolio, they've also stated that the vast majority of renewals for offices are 2024 or beyond. So it's not like we're going to see a lot of office rules come up this next year that might reset at a lower lease rate, which would impact their balance sheet. So I can't see anything, at least in my visibility. And again, we're not financial advisors. This is just us making a decision for ourselves, guys. So please poke holes in our thesis, do your own research. Do not clone our investments here. Um, but I have not been able to find anything in the M&D bank balance sheet that is pretty concerning 
um, that would be devastate right to this bank in the short term. That doesn't mean that they're not going to have a huge number of withdrawals, right? Because of this bank run, we yet don't know how much, how we don't know the percent of their portfolio above a quarter of a million dollars that is withdrawn over the past few weeks. That would be an area of concern and impact their ability to maintain a deposit base. But again, the, the stock is down what day? 40% roughly, uh, 40, yeah. 45%. Um, I think in my opinion, this has to be one of the safest. I know it's a relative term, but M&T Bank has to be one of the very safest community banks out there. And if I have to own a bank and I chose that I had to own a bank because I want to put some money at risk here in this sector, because I believe it's more likely to recover than not, I chose to do it with M&T Bank and one other that I'll discuss later. <laughs> so what do you think about that? Well, I'm, I'm with you on this one because I also wanted some exposure to a bank stock. Um, it seems it seems like a, uh, to me, when, when you see stocks that are beat down like this in a sector, in an industry that has the unlimited money printer capability, and if we kind of don't think that the government or regulators are going to allow regional banks to fail, they're not in the too big to fail category. And my personal money is at Bank of America. My business's money is at Chase. I don't have a regional bank relationship, but I don't think that regional banks are going to be really at risk beyond what's already happened, right? Yeah, look, I mean, so some banks are at risk. Only one of you at a time. Jordan, you go first. What's say, say it again, Jordan. We're, we're talking yeah, so on top of each other. It's letting the banks fail. So that is, that's what they're doing. They're, they're saying, you know, we might backstop depositors until we don't. Um, and we're going to let the equity holders take all the pain, right? And then even the bondholders, they're letting take some pain. It depends on where you are in the, you know, in, you know, on the credit risk side um, of the bond issuance. But yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think that there's a reason to try to jump in here and be a hero. But I think uh, MTB of the bills, banks, what? I think of the banks, MTB is in the position of not being the risky play. They have well, been very conservative with the way they operated their course. banks. That's fine. I mean, I, you know, I, that's not how I allocate my money. If that's how you allocate your money, the best of the worst, that's fine. But Jordan, so, they, so, they also are paying a 4% dividend yield. So I know that that's a tip yeah. that's attractive to you. Generally, yeah. So, but you could get that. You could get that risk-free uh, in your money market account. So, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, Jordan, I, I generally agree with you. I I don't like the banking sector here. I don't like regional banks here. Uh, particularly, I think there is still risk, and I think the government has come out and said we're not going to protect investors, and that that is really risky if we continue to see outflows on uninsured deposits. There's no doubt about that. And I think that's the biggest risk here of investing in any of these regionals is continued outflows. You can't fight that. You just can't fight that. If, if all of your depositors withdraw, you're in trouble, no matter what. Um, so the question is, this bank has been around since, I don't know, 1840, <laughs> right? something like that, 1860. Uh, they have a really deep-seated depositor base. They have strong relationships with their depositors, with their commercial clients. Um, the thing here that everyone has to remember is can't you can't just kind of leave your commercial, your, your, your community regional bank if you're a business, because like we're not, like my restaurant, we're never going to do business with Bank of America, right? It just, it's just not going to work. 
Well, I just think there's a bias. I think you've got a bias here, and I think it's a recency bias where you're looking and you're like, okay, well, who's not going to have a bank run? And then they are probably going to be successful. But three months ago, you would never have said that the bank, you know, that doesn't have a bank run is the most successful. I think you still have you still have all sorts of risks, like you said in their in their loan portfolio. Um, the you know yield curve inversion doesn't tend to work out well for financial institutions, um, and so. I, I just don't think it's a good time to invest in banks. I, 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 Jordan, I totally agree. You don't have to go out of business for it to be a bad investment, right? That's, that's my point. Totally. <laughs> that is true. I, 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 I totally, I totally agree. I do think that there is a better than 50, 50 chance here. You know, that's just me, um, that we get through this banking crisis, being able to identify where the bad loans are through this next quarter. When bank comes out with, you know, when the banks start coming out with earnings, we're going to start to see exactly how badly they were hit um, by the run. I think that bank run has dramatically settled over the past week or so. And I just don't think we're going to continue to see a massive run on the bank unless something else the other shoe drops, right? And it could. Yeah, I it agree could. with that. I saw a thought chart, and I don't remember exactly where it was, so you know, take this with a grain of salt, but basically it was showing the like, regional bank deposits were dropping, and then they've kind of rebounded. And so, I look, that, that, that's and that's what I already said. I Just because the first problem was bank run on Silicon Valley, and then, you know, whatever happened to First Republic, and then, you know, SBNY and Silvergate, and we've had four either failures or near, near failures um, in the last, what what started maybe like three or four weeks ago. I, you know, that I don't think, I don't think it's over. You're listening to the Dumb Money Live podcast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line. It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm not a long-term investor in the banking sector either. Uh, if we get this rebound, I'll likely be out of M&T Bank. It does not necessarily fit my social or methodology, but you know what? I'm playing it. Um, I'm buying the best of the worst. Uh, <laughs> that's, and that's where I, I see this. I Yeah, the banking sector in general right now is not where I would put my money, but we've seen a pullback and we have seen a risk, like a risk uh, assessment and, and going in that lower end of the risk uh, kind of makes sense to me. There are two other banks that I that I bought. Um, one of them is JP Morgan. My rationale there is just the tremendous inflow of deposits, the tremendous inflow of commercial deposits, of high net worth deposits. Um, when I was down at South by Southwest um, a couple weeks ago and all this was going down, you know, we all heard the rumors there were a lot of, you know, JP Morgan Chase kind of affiliated people that were all kind of swirling around going that saying that they had actually, I think a 25% increase in like five days of their deposits on their high net worth uh, wealth division, which is just absolutely insane, right? The vast majority of money that was coming out of Silicon Valley Bank um, and some of the others 
were all flowing into JP Morgan. They were working 24 seven just to bring in new clients. I think that is a huge, huge win for them. As we know, they're just banking with them is not fun if you're not a extraordinarily large client, right? So they don't pay you anything for your money. You're going to get paid nothing on your deposits, right? You're going to receive virtually no service. Um, but they had this massive inflow due to safety. And people don't like switching every their bank every few weeks, right? So a lot of that is going to stick for a while. And how, I think is that not, be, how is there not a bank or some version of a bank that like is just literally is a bank vault where your money is in a brokerage style money market, but even then that gets loaned out. I mean, how is there not just a safe place to put your money? That doesn't make sense to me. There is, there is. So I, I was, um, I was talking to the head of a bank a few days ago at a venture conference, uh, that that's a, a digital bank, but they insure your deposits up to $150 million by essentially, and, and there's a few banks that do this, that spread it across hundreds hundreds of banks, right? So yeah. at a quarter of a million dollars a piece. And you pay a very small fee for that, you know, call it insurance or a small premium. And it's well worth it. But that product is out there. Um, there are banks that offer that product. And more so than ever, people are asking for it. And it's a great product because like you're, you're done, right? I think you pay like 0.14% uh, premium to have your money maneuvered around and you have to complete, you know, an application to inform the bank where else you have money so they don't duplicate it at the same mm -hmm. bank that you might have another account at. But you can have your money insured across hundreds of different banks at the quarter of a million dollar cap. So it's a product that's out there. And you could also just buy treasuries, Dave. I mean, that that's that's the, the safest thing in the world to do. You don't have to worry about any of this stuff. And you get like what, 4%? It depends on where you are on the on duration, but yeah, I mean, so you know, money market is obviously instant, instantly liquid. Um, but any of the actual treasuries, you're going to have, you know, credit rate risk. But uh, you know, but that's well. And I think tr the problem with with treasuries for businesses that have raised money, you can't just lock that money away for ten years or even two years or even. 30 days because you might need yeah, that money to make payroll anytime in fact so a lot of so bigger companies have treasuries I mean, you know that's what they do with excess capital uh, but they have an entire team that manages yeah. those things and they you know they're not just saying like oh let's roll the dice on a billion dollars of uh you know <laughs> long-term uh 30 year you know you, you keep them short have a ladder and they've got they've got strategies for all this it's not difficult. You keep them yeah. short dated and it's the safest thing you could have your money in. Right. And so yeah. like none of this is difficult. And that's the problem, Dave. The problem is that people are waking up to the fact that they do have options that are completely safe. So why would you keep, you know, $5 million sitting at a regional bank, not earning all that much interest, which is quite often the case, right? Quite often the case. In fact, um, I even looked at M&T Bank to see what they were offering depositor. And it looks like up to 10 million, I could be wrong, they pay 2.96% interest, right? So if they're paying 2.9, and that's an intro rate, if they're paying 2.96% interest to depositors, and that's between $10,000 and I think it was $10 million. So 
they're earning more than 2.96% on their money, right? I mean, it's not hard to get more than 2.96%. So they actually have a net interest margin, which is the money that they make on deposits of roughly 4%. So M&T Bank has a 4% margin between their borrowing cost and how much they're making, right, as a regional bank. And that's why I said, I want to own a bank, because historically, banking is a great place to be. It, it, it's a money printing machine. And so many of their accounts are under the FDIC limit. They are fully insured. And a lot of those depositors are earning 0%. Most of these banks pay most of their customers 0%. Well, on yeah, and I was just, I was just checking M&T. This is for personal, uh, their mo My Choice Money Market is currently paying 0.0203. The introductory rate is 0.3 on up to, uh, but but once you have more than $10,000, they, they're paying 2.96. But that's an introductory rate. The regular rate is 0.02%. This is why you want to be in banking, as, but as long as people don't wake up to the fact that there's a better option. So Jordan... The only question here is what percentage of the customer base that has deposits over a quarter of a million is going to wake up to the fact that there are better and safer options out there? I don't have the answer to that question, but I think we're going to settle that in this next earnings call um, across every single bank. And we're going to figure out how much money was pulled out of these banks. How bad is it? I don't know. But I well, the thing is, it could be, so it could be slightly impactful to Noodle, right? So if you think about it, let's say that um, you've got, let's say that you're a business and you've got $10 million in XYZ, you know, bullshit bank, right? And you just say, you know what, we're going to split it up into five banks and only have $2 million in each five banks. And so in that case, if they're all just spreading it around to regional banks, then any outflow will be an inflow for another bank and maybe it just kind of neutralizes itself. Now, on the other hand, if, you know, companies figure out what their working capital needs are, and let's say of that 10, you know, their working capital needs are like $4 million, um, that maybe the other five or six million, they can uh, put in, you know, some sort of money market fund and actually get, you know, what, three, four, whatever percent um, rate, um, right? And so that would be the negative. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, the real, the real risk here is deposit risk in my mind. That That's the risk here. I looked at their lending portfolio. I'm not particularly concerned. It's yeah. super diversified. They've been really conservative, um, always have been conservative uh, yeah. with their lending portfolio. There is a little bit of risk there, but I don't think it's catastrophic. As long as their deposit base stays stable, I'm pretty comfortable with this investment. And as long as there isn't continued run on the banks that that yeah, I think, that look, I, I, mean, I i've said this before and i i stick beside that i think that silicon valley while they could have been under duress for a long time would still be in business today if for the run of course but no yeah jordan that one can happen to any bank and it could happen to all of them over the next well but i think silicon valley was a unique situation and you had some highly public figures um letting you know that things were you know not in the best you know buttoned up situation at the bank Tour like you're never going to have that with, you know, regional M&T bank. Like there's not, you know, the the Warren Buffett of M&T banks not going to come across and start telling everybody the their depositor. Well, well, well yeah, I I don't I don't think so either. 
Also, you have to remember in this, you were talking about the rate environment and what it does for banks. For banks like M&T that have a lot uh, of their securities that are short term, this type of rate environment's actually been helping them as the rates go up because their net interest margin has been growing because now they're able to reinvest at higher rates. And again, as long as there is, that, that's, that has a caveat to it. As long as their depositors, again, are okay making a low rate of return on their deposits. And they have come out and said that the risk is that the cost of borrowing capital will go up. And that is a big concern. If everybody wakes up to the fact that they can earn 4% on a treasury bill, right? They're not, they're going to pull their money out of places where they're only making 2.9%. That extra percent is a lot when you have- yeah, I agree. If you're using a checking account as a savings account, then yes. I mean, people will are probably starting to get wise to this. But again, there is a different, you know, there is the argument that you have to have a checking account and you have to have working capital in it um, to be able to operate. And, you know, even individuals operate, you know, kind of as a business now. Yeah, but you only need so much money in that account, right? And if you start, you know, getting smart about it, the banks lose. Right. The banks want you being lazy and just sitting your money there because right. you don't know what else to do with it. And you just money is only a problem as long as we have interest rates, right? And so if the Fed starts cutting, you know, once we go into recession, this is a very, this could, I'm not saying if it is or isn't, how long we're going to keep interest rates high, but this is only a problem as long as we have, you know, as the government's paying you to part their money with them. Yeah. Okay. So, so Chris, you revealed that you've bought MTB and JP Morgan. You said you had two, you have one more. What, what is it? These are all small investments, right? Uh, my third is Schwab. Now Schwab does have a lending portfolio that appears to be at risk. Um, I don't know the details of it, but smarter people than me have dissected kind of where they have their money and it is long dated and it does appear to be at risk. However, Schwab has seen in inflows during this period, not outflows. I think Schwab, while not considered to be a too big to fail, you know, traditional conventional bank, like JP Morgan, uh, B of A, Citigroup, they are the type of institution as a broker uh, where people just feel comfortable with Schwab. And they have come out and said that they, I think, the week that this all went down, I think they said they had three, three plus billion, or maybe it was 20 billion, some large number of inflows, which was really interesting to see. So again, none of this really matters with the long dated securities if you're able to keep your deposit base. Um, and I think they are probably one of the stronger players there and they continue to generate great income from their brokerage activities, obviously. Um, I also think that they are perfectly suited in the brokerage sector. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, Charles Schwab bought Ameritrade. Ameritrade had previously bought Scott Trade. So, you know, Schwab is now kind of like the mega, the mega online discount broker. And where Robinhood at one point in time was a huge risk factor for a company like Schwab and Ameritrade. Does anybody really feel comfortable having a large amount of money in a brokerage like Robinhood right now? Or any of these, any of those brokers that spun up during the last four or five years? Absolutely not. So yeah. I think Schwab is actually in a really good place in their industry sector to pick up a lot of accounts and get a lot of deposit inflow uh, from people that are- Well, they don't, really, they don't really, so what do they have as far as deposits versus what they have under, you know, in like custodial AUM account? 
Do, do you know those? I don't know. I don't know the specifics. I just know that they do have they do have deposits and they do have long dated securities and they evidently haven't done the best job of managing that risk um, in terms of being conservative I, I, from what the market is saying about Schwab. I'm not concerned though because the long dated stuff works its way out as long as depositors don't flee. And it doesn't appear that anybody's fleeing Schwab. Including what, what happened with Schwab's uh, stock? I, I, this is not a stock that I follow, but it looks like right around uh, March 9th and 10th, they dropped substantially. Every, every single financial stock dropped um, because of the fallout from, from Silicon Valley Bank. And so that's... that's they dropped 40%. Oh, the, second drop? The, the first drop was from Silicon Valley Bank. So So... Winning Trades just shared, you know, I haven't looked this up on Schwab in a, in a couple of weeks, but Schwab has $11 billion in unrealized losses, right? And the majority of that is likely long dated, just long dated CDs. But obviously they don't have to sell any of those as long as they maintain their deposit rate, which they appear to be doing and adding to it. Um, and of course, you know, like all the banks now, they're able to borrow from the Fed. Uh, now, you, when you're borrowing from the Fed, what people don't realize is the Fed, I think, is charging what yes. four and a half, four and a half percent. I don't know the right percentage, now. but it's it's pretty much like normal interest rates these days. Yes. So so yes, these banks like Schwab can borrow, okay, to cover the withdrawals, the depositor withdrawals. But they're borrowing if you're borrowing at four and a half percent. Okay. And those long dated securities that you're in are, let's say, at 1.8% or 2.2%, right? You're taking a 2% loss. Let's say if Schwab has to borrow a $10 billion, right? They're taking what a 200, that's $200 million annualized loss on that, as long as they need to maintain that level of borrowing. I'm not concerned because it appears to be that Schwab did not have a major outflow. So hopefully Schwab does not need to borrow that much money and their earnings won't get meaningfully impacted. So I bought Schwab because I love it. I think they're just beautifully positioned in the brokerage sector here. I've kind of, you know, I bought Schwab before this. I've had to sell out of it, but I've, now I'm back in Schwab after the drop. These are, these are small investments, by the way, guys. So I do have some money in Schwab. I do have some money in JP Morgan and on the regional side, which is kind of super scary. Uh, I do have money in M&T because I do think they are the strongest. Uh, but all three together is still a relatively small size piece of my portfolio. You're listening to the Dumb Money Live podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not bank related, but um, Apple just announced that they're uh, letting you do a buy now, pay later on um, products. It's not really, they're not it's extending your credit. $1,000, is that correct, Dave? It is a $1,000 limit. You yeah. you get to have that $1,000 spread out among four payments, so it just makes it easier to buy a $1,000 iPhone. No interest, but they're not really extending credit. They're just uh, 
I mean, kind of that it was worded that they're not extending credit. They're just dividing the payments up, but I don't know how they're actually facilitating that. I have, uh, I, have, I know for the regular loan program, it just goes, uh, it goes through a credit card company. Uh, now it goes to that, what that Goldman Sachs credit card is how they, well, that's their the Apple card. Yeah. Apple card is yeah. Goldman right. and they're, uh, they're kind of buy the ability to buy and pay with, without the credit card. They also had a, I think it was a citizen, uh, citizens first or one of the, one of the yeah. citizens banks where they had, um, uh, their kind of subscription service for, uh, getting a new iPhone. Yeah, so I don't know. Dave, if, you, I, I haven't read to see if they're doing this internally. I mean, they have enough cash to, or if they um, are using, you know, some other service like, I don't know. Is this a positive or negative for Apple though, or do we even care? I think it's a positive. Yeah, I, I think I think positive. people people have Apple as this aspiring brand that they want, and now instead of buying the cheapest phone because that's what they can afford this month, they can buy. The the Max or something for uh and yeah the phone spread their ways that you want a watch I mean it's a perfect thing for a watch or a set of AirPods or something like that you can just walk in yeah and instead of having to outlay the full three four five hundred dollars you walk out you only spend a hundred bucks you feel great when uh, you get hit you know for the next four months can I bring up something that's just really pissing me off it's unrelated to the market but it kind of somewhat related to someone we talk about all the time Elon. Dude, this announcement that he made yesterday about Twitter Blue, and if you don't pay the $7 or whatever a month, that you- You're no longer included. You're no longer included in the For You page. No, that- I'm sorry, man. That's not true. You are included for people that follow you. No, that's the follow page. There's two tabs. No, you still, all, you, no, he clarified later and he said, you will be in the FU, F, <laughs> FU, the FU page? FYP page. For people that follow you. So, like, if I follow you, Dave, uh-huh. you're not, you don't have the blue check mark. You will still show up in my For You page. Um, I think if I follow you. I think that, okay, so, Chris, you don't like this? I love it because I think there's so much junk on Twitter that I think when I retweet something, I think it's worthwhile. And for the followers that I have, I hope that they find that worthwhile. But I'm willing to pay $7 to be seen in the For You. Dave, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. First of all, your bots can easily pay $7. Junk accounts will yes, easily pay $7. they can, but not in at scale. But A I single bot account could, could absolutely do it, but it's it's no. these accounts that are just yeah, maybe, spawning maybe, maybe, themselves maybe, maybe, out of nothing. Great bot consolidation, and so you'll only have verified bots for that one. Yeah, only high-quality bots. Missing, high Dave, bots. you're missing out on all of the ideas coming from people all around the world that can't afford to pay $7 a month. And that sucks. The thing that makes TikTok so amazing is that we have like a billion people and the algorithm is going to take someone who nobody would ordinarily see because the first hundred people that saw that video that that person uploaded thought it was amazing and watched it three times. So now it's going to show it to a million people and they go from a nobody to a somebody instantly that's what well, i love about tiktok is it's not biased in that way based on a person's twitter's social network like twitter you don't just like go twitter's twitter's too clicky twitter's a click and this is going to make it way more clicky jordan i want if someone has a great I agree. idea i don't disagree with you if someone has something to say and it's great and other people think it's great and they retweet it or like it or whatever they should have equal amount of exposure to someone who's paying seven dollars a month 
This is BS. He's saying it's about the bots. You know it's not about the bots. You know it's about the revenue. Not. He wants the money, and it it's ridiculous. It pisses me off so much. I, I don't think I'm going to do it. But here's I, the thing. I, he he needs the revenue, but it is a stopgap way of clearing out a bunch of junk content. Honestly, as soon as I the Twitter have... algorithm gets as good as the TikTok algorithm, they don't need to do it anymore. But right now, they their algorithm just isn't there. Twitter's I don't algorithm is that... not as good as TikTok's. I don't think there's that much junk content on Twitter that we need to do this. Okay, I'm on Twitter every day. I don't see that much junk content that we now need to charge everybody in the world $7 so that someone who's not following you can see what you have to say. I think that is ridiculous. Ridiculous. It pisses me off so much. Not for me. I can afford 7 bucks a month. I don't know that I'm going to pay it. I'm not saying give me my final decision yet. But do you know how many people cannot afford to pay $7? They shouldn't. I mean, it is kind of a random luxury product to, to have... Seven dollars a month. Imagine if you had to pay all of your social media subscriptions seven dollars a month. It it it's kind of ridiculous, but for Twitter, just because it is, it, it's just not as good as but TikTok. But there comes there to is a way naturally to verify me without charging. This is not even verifying. I don't even they really even verify you. They verify yeah, you like have a credit card. Right. There is an actual way to verify people if he wants to, if that's what he's worried about, right? That wouldn't cost them $7 a month. But that's not happening. This is a revenue thing. By the way, advertising dollars are down so much at Twitter. It's absolutely crazy. Like it's going to get really interesting, even with the layoffs, how unprofitable Twitter potentially is going forward the next few quarters and what happens with that whole deal. And I think this is a desperation move. When I see him doing this, it feels so desperate to me that now I'm worried about, like, what's going to happen to Twitter? Now, he said there's going to be a new CEO this year, right? That has to yes. happen. Yes. He's going to wait to the last second, obviously. It'll be like December 30th when he announces the new CEO. If even, yeah. <laughs> Elon Musk giving a date is just basically, you know, I, I could give you a date and it's going to be just as correct as his. So so wait, does him saying there's going to be a new CEO this year because he lost the Twitter poll? Does that mean 2020? It probably means next year or the year after that. It's really hard to say. <laughs> I, could, I could shake a, an eight ball and it would tell me the, the, the future is fuzzy. I mean... Now I'm going to go Graham Stefan on you, but you you take that seven dollars and you put it in the market and compound it over 25 years. That's a lot of money for a lot of people, right? Like it's insane to spend that money on Twitter. It's insane. Seven dollars times 12 months times 20 years is one thousand six hundred and eighty dollars for 20 years of of Twitter <laughs> satisfaction. That seems like a bargain. <laughs> I mean, it's it's twelve hundred dollars. I mean, that's a vacation for some so you people. You could argue with more people on Twitter. Six, sixteen hundred. It's almost seventeen hundred dollars in twenty years. It, it it's not a vacation. Let me just say this: it's not a vacation for me. And I want to warn everybody here: unless you just won the lottery, do not go <laughs> to Bahamar in the Bahamas with your family for spring break or any vacation ever. You are just a churn in the money wheel. Let me just explain this to you guys. Don't go anywhere that has the word resort in it unless you've just won the lottery and you don't like paying $17 for a Diet Coke. No, no, I want to, I want to say this to everybody here. 
the cost to feed your family of four at the Baja, at Baja Mora, which is they have three resorts, the Hi Grand Hyatt, the Rosewood, and the like SLS. It's all in one resort, and it's like Vegas in the Bahamas, right? The cost to feed your family ranges between $800 and $1,200 a day, depending upon how much you drink. Now, we don't drink hardly at all, so it was closer to $800 a day. But I mean, we did not do anything crazy. We just had like a couple drinks a day and breakfast. And I don't even think we had lunch. <laughs> we had dinner. That's how much it, it's worse than Disneyland, dude. It is so crazy. I don't know who I don't know who can afford to do this like on a regular basis. I had no idea. Didn't, I'm, I think you did invite me to go on this trip and I'm glad I declined. <laughs> dude, never, never, ever, ever again. Um, I tried to talk Amy into doing like a cruise next spring break because I just want to like do something all inclusive for Kath and she said no. So I'm still working on next spring break, but don't go. Oh, Dave, how was the dog sledding? Do you want dog dog sledding? You know, I went to uh, yeah, I went to Nome, Alaska to uh, catch the end of the Iditarod, which I don't know if you have heard of the Iditarod. It's kind of a big deal in Alaska, um, but it's a it's a sled dog race, basically. It's 1,049 miles from Anchorage to Nome, uh, where they have sled dogs pull a dude. It, it's, it's this historic thing. It was it was actually really cool to see. The dogs were great. It sounds like, you know, like PETA and stuff aren't really happy about this dog sled race, but seeing it firsthand, these dogs are happy, they're healthy. Even after doing 1,049 miles in a blizzard, they looked like they were ready to go another thousand miles. It was it was crazy. Um, but I got to do, I got to do a, a little dog sledding. I thought for sure it was going to be like a tourist version of doing it, where they like just you know hook you up and let you do like a fifty yard dash and then it's it's over. No, they hooked up four dogs and a sled, and these dogs are trained. They know where to go, but they just took off. And wait, I, just I was, you? Just with me? No, no just guy. You? Yes. It was it was insane, and I was just out there, and they tell you to talk to the dogs and sing to the dogs because it motivates them, and uh, they were just having a great time, and I was out for like thirty minutes, just and and made it back to the uh, dog farm to uh, I, I, so I thought you, I knew for sure that I was going to take a wrong turn and never make it back, but it you was kind of trust the dogs were going to bring you home. <laughs> like, were you not worried about other? Aren't there like other terror? Ter terrifying animals out there there are yeah there are um th we didn't go anywhere near those there was actually a mauling recently some some guy got uh killed by can't remember it's a ram it's like a giant ram looking thing with the horns i could google oh. it. I, I can't remember what it's called but uh so th they kept us away from that and the, the the we were really kind of more on a trail like it was just all snow but you could see the track lines of where you know where it was like a loop so i was not really too concerned but it was uh it was super fun we saw that we did that we saw the end of the thing we saw some uh some northern lights uh what else do we do oh have you ever been they they call it snow machining i think it's the exact same thing as snowmobiles but there apparently it's called snow machining did you do it that is so fun yes we um so I backtracked from the finish line to the first uh like check checkpoint or the last checkpoint before the finish line 
it's called safety and uh there's a bar there and so i took my snow machine to there had a cocktail and then snow machined home so dave let me just ask you how much does something like this cost because i'm trying to figure out is this is this a better solution for me in the future going dog sledding so I did I did it with a tour and the tour was like five thousand dollars a person, which included the activities and the accommodations and meals. Mind you, the meals in Nome, Alaska, there are exactly three restaurants in all of Nome and five bars. These three restaurants are all pretty much identical, and their menu consists of burgers, pizza, Japanese, Korean, um, Mexican, like all the food groups. All at one restaurant run by, I think the same family runs all three restaurants. Was it good? Decent. It was better than it sounds. <laughs> I thought for sure this is going to be. I guess I'm tired from like, you know, dog sledding. Every, everything's good, right? When they when they told me that we're going to a restaurant called Airport Pizza and that when I, when I opened the menu, uh, the first thing was lasagna and uh, tacos and salads. And I was like. This has got to be just the most generic cafeteria food ever, but it was actually it was actually pretty good. I'm not going to fly to Nome to go there just for <laughs> dining, but it was it was good. It sounds cold, uh, George. Uh, yeah, we actually had quite warm weather for this time of year. It was like the highs in the 20s, uh, oh. lows in the negative eight to ten ish range. Uh, one day, like the day we we're supposed to leave, there was a, a big blizzard that hit and our flights all got canceled and we were stuck in Nome for an extra day. Uh, and it, it was cold and super windy that day. It was actually fun to walk outside and feel like the wind is pushing you backwards. <laughs> but like $5,000 a person plus airfare to get there. And because it's Nome, it's so far away, it takes three flights. So your chances of having one canceled are really good. On my way out, my flight from... Dallas to Seattle was canceled and that screwed up my entire trip. And I was going to be like the, the next earliest flight they could get me on was three days later. So that would have screwed up even being able to get to the tour. So I had to buy a whole second set of airfare for like $2,000 and get out that day. So it still sounds like you beat me when it's still comes. very affordable compared to what you did. Just, Jordan, did just you to have go on spring break or I know you've had some fan yeah, no, stuff. No, uh, no. Um, so I, I think it, I, I, not to get into your stuff, but I, I, I want to remind our viewers about what I think is a really important charity. Um, Jordan, could you direct us to the best place if anybody wants to, uh, donate to, I know a cause you're passionate about that could kept you home over the past couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's cystic fibrosis foundation. So our little girl, Abigail has cystic fibrosis and, uh, you know, this spring break was, you know, not, uh, not a huge vacation. Like a lot of people got yeah. to have a vacation to a hospital for, you know, some lung infections. Um, oh. but yeah, that's, uh, well, our, our prayers are with you, man. She, she's out right now and hopefully she's yeah. doing okay. Um, yeah. I hear her sweet. running around right now. Yeah. So, so like, like what's the, what's the foundation again with the best one to Assistant donate to? This foundation. Okay. And every year I do a fundraiser with the cycling event, but I think they're killing that. And so I'll be looking for other ways to to get involved with them. Well, whenever awesome. your next fundraiser is, we'll definitely need to uh, hype it up on the show. And because we, we've got, we've got a following that would actually probably be able to top your, top your fundraising yeah, effort. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. It's uh, yeah, it's not. Yeah. I mean, 
yeah, we might do like the walk, or I think there's climb. We'll we'll find something to raise money for the CF Foundation. Kills me, dude. Kills me. Um, oh, by the way, reminds me of something in healthcare that is uh, that 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 my most passionate healthcare investment. It's not as important as that, but uh, Novo, man, have you guys seen Novo stock? My goodness, gosh. It's just it just keeps going and going and going. It's like I have right now. It's at like one fifty eight or something. Yeah. Unreal. I wish I owned more. I should have bought. <laughs> Look yeah. at that move. It is it is skyrocketing. That X on the chart is where I bought it, thinking, oh, there's no way of buying it like an all time high. But look at it's it's continued to uh well it's just just really rocketed here at the end. Yeah. So I have my kids college um college uh, education brokerage accounts invested so concentrated I, they only own two stocks and i looked at how much their accounts were up in the past like couple weeks and i was like this is insane they they are invested basically 50 percent in novo and 50 percent in nvidia i don't know if that's responsible for me to that do. Is, first of all that is not responsible as a non-financial advisor i can tell you that putting your college your kids college fund in a concentration of two a tech stock in a biotech? That sounds insane. But I'm only doing it. I'm only doing it because if something catastrophic happened, I would backstop them. Okay. So I basically I, I am the Fed. I am the Fed when it comes to their college savings account. So I want their accounts to aggressively grow because you know how much I hate college and I don't even want them going to college. But if they choose to go to college, I really don't want to have to pay for it. So, I, so wait, I want, if they choose I have, not to go to college, are they going to just get this in cash at, at graduation? So I think that's a debate that me and Amy are going to have to have. Um, I would love for them to go to trade school. Uh, yeah, you can any, use it for any type of education, right? So trade school, yeah, anything like that would be totally valid. Education, or if they want to buy like a, a sprinkler repair company or a plumbing company, if they want to. But, yeah, but yeah, you've been talking about that sprinkler repair company for so long. You get a tax hit um, for taking it out for a non-education purpose. But um, so I, you know, I don't know, Jordan. So I have it in a like a custodial account that I think I it's just a five twenty nine account. No, no. Oh, it's an, it's just, yeah, yeah you just I'm have fine. To figure out whatever the gifting rules are. Because so I have titled in your name, or are they titled in their name? In 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 their name. Oh, it's in their name. Yeah. Oh, well, then so maybe it's totally fine. But I have five years to like six x their money, so you know. Yeah. You should be able to do that. What your annual annualized returns are? What like fifteen percent or something? I, I'm historically, sixty-seven <laughs> percent. I don't think I'm going to continue doing that now in this environment, but. Uh, you know, I, who knows? Between Novo and the video, if they keep moving, you never, you never know. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm, I'm investing aggressively on their behalf. But yeah, their accounts are up so much. I was like, what has happened? And I forgot I put them in just those two stocks that are both really killing it. Um, AI guys, did you watch the video that I sent you guys about how AI is going to kill us all? Yeah, I, I listened to it. I just put it on my. Uh, head my headset and walked around the house. I have I have not watched it yet, but I plan to. And I, it's you can't send me a long form video and expect me to watch it immediately. Yeah, it's a, hey, it's send a me a TikTok and I'll watch it all day long. So that's why I just I put it on my phone on YouTube and just put it in the background and then put the headphones on 
And then whatever you're doing, you know, washing dishes or whatever. But Jordan, that, that's it's good, right? Stuff. It's good, right? It's Actually, entertaining. So what I appreciate about that guy, um, and I feel like we're kind of you know, <laughs> like inside, but uh, what I liked about him is that he told us exactly where you know the weaknesses of his opinions are, who disagrees with him, and so to me that validates you know who he is and that he understands all of the different. Um, positions that are out there and that he happens to have certain positions, but he's willing to discuss. And so I thought he was a really interesting person. So guys, just so you know, it's titled, we're all going to put it in the notes here. We're all going to die. Um, it's episode 159. We're all going to die with Eliza Yud- Yudkowski. Yeah, it's so um, episode 159 of the Bankless uh, podcast. Yeah, Bankless, Bankless. podcast. Is it the Bankless podcast? Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Um, so episode 159. Okay. So um, should we do a Jordan, reaction video to it? I think we should at some point, honestly. Like, I, I really want to do that because, Jordan, would you agree that his thesis has legs? It's not ridiculous at all. Like, it has legs. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but he has a valid thesis that you have to respect somewhat. So what, I, what he's brought up that I've heard other mathematicians bring up before is that um, the kind of the way that these models work with parameterization, it's like we fine-tune them to get them to give the results that we want. Um, but there's, you know, we're, we really don't know what they do and like why the parameters that we choose are the ones that, you know, you know, optimize the model in certain ways to give the results that we want. And so that leaves open you know, this uh, unintended consequence issue, right? Um, and so that's that's where, I, you know, I identify with what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, we should do an episode on that because it's, it's honestly, guys, you got to watch it. It's incredible. Uh, it's scary. It You probably won't sleep well after, <laughs> after listening to it or watching it. But I don't know. Eyes wide open. You got you got it. You have to know both sides of the AI story. There's a lot of incredible stuff with AI, but there is a real risk. And when you hear people talking about how AI is going to destroy the world, you're like, but how and why? This kind of breaks down how and why. All I want to know is when, because I when think I'm fine. It, it sounded and <laughs> no, it sounded like it's in the not too distant future. Like I'm thinking, like Jordan, would you say he's probably thinking five to twenty years from now? Probably. I would think he's probably thinking 10 to 30 years. 10 to 30 years, and we're done. Yeah. So <laughs> let's end on that note. I do have a meeting I got to run to you guys, so we're going to have to end on that note. It's all around with that. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for watching. Maybe we'll see so you like around. Make as much money as we can until that in, happens. Okay. In, the next, in the next five or so years. <laughs> or maybe it all ends tomorrow. We're done money. Hope to see you soon. <laughs>